Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another fantastic show for you. Uh, my first guest will be uh, Doug Christensen, the new ECAC hockey commissioner and former Union College hockey player. We'll discuss uh, what led him to take the job to replace uh, the retiring commissioner, Steve Hagwell. We'll talk about his career union. And uh, I did a question and answer story in uh, last Sunday's uh, Daily Gazette, and it's online at dailygazette.com. There are more questions that I had asked that did not appear on uh, in the paper and online. So we'll, we'll you know, hopefully get a chance to listen to that. And then we'll talk uh, NBA basketball with Zach Bai, a Scotia Glenville High School graduate and College of St. Rose graduate. And he's a co-host of Stokely and Bai on uh, Denver's 104.3, The Fan. Uh, the Nuggets winning their first NBA title. We'll talk to him about that and what it means for the city of Denver. So coming up, Doug Christensen talks ECAC hockey and his new job as the commissioner of the conference. And uh, we'll reminisce about his time at Union. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. I'll never forget the day I decided to go out for the football team. Mr. Banks, the JV football coach and my history teacher, asked me to stay after class. I thought I was in trouble. He said, hey, Darius, have you thought about going out for football? I think you'd be great. Fact is, I never played football. Fact is, I never had anyone tell me I'd be great at something. So, with no experience at all, I signed up. And a week later, I padded up and was running drills on the field. I never was great, but playing high school sports was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I was accepted by my teammates, and I learned that when someone believes in you, you can believe in yourself. Encourage a student you know to take part in a high school sport. This message presented by NISFA and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Men's hockey coach Mike Harder. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Shot. ECAC hockey has a new commissioner, and he's very familiar to Union College hockey fans. He played for the Dutchman from 1998 to 2002 as a forward and defenseman. He went on to work at all levels of hockey, and he will begin his new job on July 1 when he replaces the retiring Steve Hagwell. Please welcome new commissioner of ECAC Hockey, Doug Christensen, to the podcast. Doug, welcome and uh, to the podcast, and congratulations on getting the job. Thank you very much. It's a huge honor. I'm excited to get going. Uh, obviously, Steve's done a fantastic job. Uh, getting the league to this point, lots of things to be thankful for, but I'm excited to get going and put my own stamp on the ECAC hockey and uh, get going to work, get, get ready to work. Yeah. What attracted you to the job? I think for me, a number of things. Number one, I, I loved my ECAC hockey experience. My wife uh, went to Yale, my brother-in-law went to Harvard, and my I had so much fun, as you know, I had to make my brother go to Union. <laughs> They're unique places. They're as good as you can possibly have for men and women to be able to have an outstanding academic experience, a wonderful on-campus experience, and then be able to have a hockey program that's 
able to win national championships. And so, uh, for me, it, it blends everything that I really value. It's why I went there as a student and it's why I'm coming back, um, as a commissioner. And so for me, really trying to grow the college game in this really interesting time of college sports, not just hockey, but college sports in general, uh, was something that I couldn't pass up. And, and we're excited to, to move to the East Coast. And um, that's sort of its own challenge, but we're excited to get, to get going. As I mentioned, you've worked at all levels of hockey. You've worked in junior hockey. You've also been a head coach in, in England and in the ECHL. Um, how have those experiences helped you prepare you for this job? I think in different ways. I mean, the one thing is, I think one of the strengths of my background is the diversity of my background as a player, as a coach, as a manager, as an administrator. And each of those things are things you can pull from. So as a coach, I'm going to understand the stresses, the ups and downs, the grind. I'll also understand the cadence of a coach's week, when to call them, when not to call them. Um, you know, understanding the pressures that they have in terms of player discipline and suspensions and, um, you know, how one goal can be so meaningful for their season and not just necessarily in one game. And so understanding, you know, their, their passion and their energy. Um, and at the same token, coming from a league office, I understand, you know, not only the 30,000 foot view of trying to push a league in a direction from a branding and marketing and revenue side, but also some of the granular details that go into it, everything from scheduling to ensuring that, um, you know, the officiating is, is not only taken care of, but at a high standard. And so, um, to me, all of those pieces, uh, I pull in. And then as a player, um, I've got a soft spot for the players. Um, I want them to have the experience that I had. Um, and I want to do everything in my power to try to ensure that uh, the student athletes, the men and women uh, who are coming through and then graduating have that similar, similar level of affinity to their alma mater as I have. What are your goals for the conference? Well, I think first and foremost, in order to shape it accurately, I'm going to speak with every school, every administrator um, that, and head coach that I possibly can. Um, I want to do that this summer. But, um, one, I think that we can really grow the brand of ECAC hockey. I think that the ECAC has always been a fantastic conference. But we have some of the, 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 the best schools in the world. We have diversity of our campuses, um, not only uh, on campus in terms of the students, but also in terms of geography. Um, and, and so if you want to be in a rural area, you can be in a rural area. If you want to be in a big city, you can be in a big city. So I just think that we have so many things to sell in terms of how we can connect to Boston and New York and in terms of some of the finances that are there. And then also being able to hopefully extend the recruiting reach for uh, our coaches because if we can have uh, additional clarity given to students like myself who left the Midwest to come to the East Coast, um, to whatever the school they go to, I think that that helps our coaches have better teams, deeper rosters, um, and, and whether that's for the women in Minnesota having a lot of success or the men being able to go into Chicago and having success. Uh, I think that those pieces are going to be really helpful for our teams. Um, and then I also uh, want to make sure that we're at the forefront of all of the pieces that are coming along with college sports, name, image, and likeness, transfer portal, um, all of the eligibility issues that come along with that at highly, highly academic schools um, and making sure that not only do we do those things right, but we are at the forefront of all the college conferences. 
I know I asked you this question during the uh, conference call on Tuesday, but I'll ask it again. Do you feel any pressure taking over for Steve Hagwell? I mean, he served 18 years as commissioner of this conference. Of course I do. He did a great job. Um, the one thing that he did uh, extremely well it, over a long period of time, and w- whatever profession you're in, whether that's professional sports, being a teacher, being a, an investment banking, consistency is a really, really hard thing to do. And he consistently had an extremely well-run league um, that people understood the, the, the value of the education, the value of the hockey. Um, so, of course, I do. Um, but I'm also confident that I'm going to be able to add some things that are a little bit different than him and uh, also be able to lean on him when I have those hard moments, which I'm sure will be coming. Yeah. Has Steve given you any advice? He and I have talked almost every day um, since my contract was signed, uh, which was you know now just over a week ago. So we we had the press release uh, and we we waited till Tuesday. So we've been working almost every day on everything from insurance to officiating to just getting a lay of the land um, so that. I have the best possible understanding of the league that I can as I head into the uh, the season, um, and I obviously want to be you know respectful of his time. Doug Christensen joining us here on the Parting Shots podcast. What was your experience like at Union, both as I mean, as a student athlete? I loved it. Um, you know what, what's interesting for me is my experience at Union was so much more than hockey. But the one thing that I would say is my best friends, for the most part, not all, are the hockey players. And you go through so many ups and downs. You have good days. You have bad days. You you eat your meals with them. You travel with them. Um, You have these hard workouts. And let's be honest, we didn't have the best seasons my first couple years there. And so you go through some adversity together. And and those relationships I still have today. Um, they're the ones who reached out to me when I got this job and were, were all excited. Um, and then at the same time, one of the things that I really enjoyed was we had really great professors. And I, I said this, and I can't recall if it was on uh, in the press conference. One of the things that I really enjoyed was meeting people from different parts of the country, different walks of life, and just talking with them and getting to know them and being at a unique time of our life together. And as we're all kind of just trying to figure out where we're going to go and what we're going to do with our lives. And some of those conversations that I had with, you know, and, and it could be, it didn't matter, uh, race or sex or anything like that. You just had great conversations and you were able to learn from them. And I know a lot of those conversations shaped who I am today. And I hope that the students are having those similar things now um, because that is part of what makes not only Union College special, but that time of your life special. Yeah, you mentioned that fact that when you played at Union, it wasn't the greatest programs. They were try- still trying to find their footing in NCAA Division One. I. I know your freshman year was a record was 3-26-3. and three. That was sort of the low point. Of the I was program. worried you were going to Google that. <laughs> no, I don't have to Google. I got it. I got it in my my head. I, mean, I, I saw. I still have all the score sheets from those past years. But uh, I mean, we started one, one, and one too. By the way, that's, that's right. the worst part about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, the program's going on to do great things. Uh, capped by a national championship in 2014. I mean, when you played at Union, did you ever think that the program would one day be a national champion? Not in my wildest dreams. Um. You know, to win a national championship, you need so many things to go right for you. 
you know, the University of Michigan has tremendous resources. Um, they've had great teams, great coaches. And you need things to go your way. You need bounces. Um, you need – sometimes you need the draw to open up for you to get yourself to a final. You need to stay healthy. You need so many things to happen. I mean, I believe Michigan's last national championship is 98. That's a long time for a program like that. And so to be knocking on the door consistently is hard enough. Um, to win it is is even harder. But the stars aligned that year, and, you know, they got great goaltending. They had high-level players. They had NHL players. Um, so for a school like Union College to win a national championship, I think that that's fantastic for hockey. In the same way that Quinnipiac winning, winning a national championship is fantastic for hockey. So um, to me, I think that, that that's wonderful. And the one thing that I would say is as great as the men have been, um, you only three of the last ten national championships, the women have done the same. And the, 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 the women's conference is, I believe, should be the best conference in the country. And I think that the sky is the limit. And both conferences getting four teams into the NCAA tournament is really just a sign of there's depth, there's talent, and you need the things to bounce your way the way that it did for Korean PIAC this past year and the way it did for Union College when, uh, in 2014. Yep. Well, you applied for the Union Men's Hockey Head Coaching job last year. Uh, you took a risk uh, when you resigned as coach and general manager of the uh, ECHL's Indy Fuel to pursue the job. You weren't a finalist for the positions. How disappointed were you in not getting the job? Um, for me, obviously, I think how I feel about Union College is well-documented. Um, I'm extremely happy with where I am today, and I wouldn't trade anything. I think that for me and my family, this is an outstanding opportunity. And I'm not only excited to get back to campus and see old friends, um, but I'm excited to, to really grow and have an impact not only on what would have been one group of teams, but 24. Let's take a break. Uh, more with new ECAC Hockey Commissioner Doug Christensen coming up here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. Take the Daily Gazette, the local voice of the Capital Region, along with you wherever you go. Want to win an Apple iPad? Download the app at either the Apple App Store or Google Play and enter the contest inside the app to win. Don't wait. The contest ends July 31st at midnight. The winner will be notified by the email used to enter the contest. Good luck. Hi, this is Tri-City Valley Cats manager Pete Incavillia. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. We're talking with new ECAC hockey commissioner and former union uh, men's hockey player Doug Christensen. Uh, Doug, what do you think was your most memorable moment at Union, both on and off the ice? I think my most memorable moment on the ice um was I mean you hate to say it but I guess there's a few there's a few senior night um when we beat Cornell 
Uh, I scored the game winner. Uh, I didn't even, I don't even know if it touched my stick at any point in time, but it hit my body and it went in. Um, and I think that that was something that I look back as a really special moment. Um, I, I look back at uh, all of the experiences that I had um, with my teammates my senior year. I think we really just kind of drank it in a little bit. Um, and then off the ice, my term abroad, no question. Um, it was a, a, an amazing experience to live in Germany, to study in Germany, and be there with a number of my teammates, go there with students, uh, a number of my classmates. Uh, I look back at that as some of the, the best experiences that I've ever had. And, um, you know, the students who take that opportunity, whether they're athletes or not, they're forever enriched because of doing it. So would number two on the ice be the uh, brawl with Cornell your freshman year? <laughs> it's memorable. It's memorable. I don't think we have to work that in every interview, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, listen, it's a loud building. It's a place that really pulls out a lot of passion for everybody and clearly pulled out a little bit too much passion for us and yeah. for them. Well, the game was out of hand. Cornell was winning, and we, uh, we, this was the 1998-99 season, and Jay Varaday, let's face it, Jay was not uh, the prettiest of players. I mean, he was, he was he's an in-your-face guy, and uh, he was giving Ian Burt, the Cornell goaltender, some stick, and uh, next thing you know, everybody's squaring off. And I, this is what I remember most when I was traveling with the team. I turned to uh, Tom Fleischman, who covered uh, Cornell for the Ithaca Journal, and I said, wouldn't it be funny if the goaltenders went at it, because Lear Strong was playing for Union, and as I saw the words went out of my mouth, all of a sudden the fans start roaring, and I turn around, and I was like, oh, my God, they are going to start fighting. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an unbelievable experience. One thing I will say about Jay Verde, obviously he's now the assistant coach for the Red Wings, uh, I, I joked that the most entertaining line in college hockey was, uh, I believe my sophomore year, it was uh, Alex Todd, Jay Verde, and myself. I don't think we ever completed a pass, but we hit everything that moved. Um, and so if we were on the ice, something was going to happen. Uh, you had no idea what it was going to be, but something was going to happen. And it probably wasn't uh, pretty, but it was it was a fun experience. Um, yeah, obviously, I, I keep in touch with those guys, but all three of us still work in hockey, and so um, we, our paths cross consistently. That's amazing between you, um, Jay, and Alex. That's 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 amazing that you, know, you guys all end up in, in hockey. Somebody uh, post post playing career. It is. I mean, we kind of joked about that. You know, I, I think that for all of us, we weren't sure exactly where how it would translate um, after we left. Um, but I think we all really had a passion for hockey. And that's come through over the course of the years. Yeah. Well, we mentioned the landscape of college hockey has changed since you played. You know, more teams, transfer portal, real, realignment. I mean, there's a possibility that there would be more realignment down the road. How do you navigate uh, ECC, ECAC hockey through that? Well, I think we have 12 fantastic institutions. I don't see any need to change that at all. Um, there's going to be growth in college hockey. And so we want Kevin Westgarth and Mike Steen from the NHL and College Hockey Inc. To, respectively to do their job. They've done a great job of adding programs to college hockey. That creates more opportunities um, for, for student-athletes, for men and for women. And so to me, those are areas that we want to be supporting. But I look at the schools that we have. Uh, we have exactly 12 men, 12 women programs uh, that works out really, really well 
And they're all very similar in terms of how they focus on the academics and the student athlete experience. Resources are similar, just like anything else. You're going to have different areas that might be a little bit better or worse um, across the board. But at the end of the day, they're really similar. So I don't see any changes there. But I'm really hoping that uh, the growth of college hockey continues because it's great for the sport. It's great for the opportunities. And, you know, dating back when I played, Arizona wasn't producing players. Texas wasn't producing players. California, maybe a little bit. But now you have this just melting pot of players from all over, and we're attracting players from all over. So um, I, I think that college hockey can certainly handle uh, the growth of hockey and not have any dip in terms of talent. And obviously the women's game, same thing. We've done a great job of attracting high-level um, players from all over the world, 17 players from the, the women's uh, world championship team were uh, played in the ECAC, which to me is tremendous. Now he's got to bump up that USA number, but it, we're attracting high-end talent. I think the growth of college hockey is really good. Now he's got to make sure that we strengthen our league and, and do the best we possibly can maximizing our collective resources. Could the conference expand one day? I mean, you never say never. I mean, you, you, never, you wouldn't box yourself in, but I don't see any of that uh, on the horizon at all. During this past season, uh, Doug, the conference announced that the postseason format for the Women's League would expand to all 12 teams in the mirror of the men, starting with the 23-24 season. I mean, obviously that's great news for the women, but the downside for the Men's League was that the first round format was reduced from a best-of-three series to a single elimination game. The men's coaches were not happy in the number of them that I talked with. Uh, even Ron Fogarty, after beating uh, Union in, in, um, in the first round, uh, uh, at Messerink in uh, March, he he still like, was against uh, the, the format change. Is that something you're going to look at, and maybe one day we'll see the best three return to the first round? I'm going to talk to all the coaches, men and women, this summer, and listen to their thoughts. And I think that that answering that question in the fall, I'll be far more informed on that answer than I am today. Um, but just as I said previously, I wouldn't close the door on anything. Um, things are obviously done for a reason, but I am looking forward to speaking with the coaches, um, not only on the playoff topic, but on everything from officiating to branding to everything else, helping the league office help. And so that would be no different. Who are your hockey influences? I mean, my first was the University of Wisconsin going with my dad and my mom. Um, you know, that's really what I grew up on. I didn't aspire to play in the NHL. And I aspired to play college hockey. And that was, to me, that was by far the biggest influence that I had in my life. Um, and as I've grown and developed, I've just been able to, I've been really fortunate to meet some really interesting people. And they've been able to mentor me at different points in time. Um, you know, for example, I worked for Bobby Orr and Paul Kapelka and JP when I was at Union. Well, those three influenced me in just totally different ways. Kapelka is an AGM now for Florida, obviously, Bobby Orr goes without saying. And GP was the one I worked most intimately with and just understanding the business of hockey. Um, and, and, and those people assisting me. And then I had coaches who influenced me along the way and, and, and mentored me. And now I've been fortunate to have so many different people that I can talk to and learn from. And so, um, who has been the influential person in my life has changed as I've, as I've aged. But there's nothing replacing what really got me into hockey, and that was the University of Wisconsin going with my parents. 
Well, speaking of Wisconsin, let's wrap this up with a fun question. You are from Wisconsin and a big Green Bay Packers fan. Can the Packers survive the loss of Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets? <laughs> I hope Aaron Rodgers does well. Nothing would make me happier than the, uh, Aaron Rodgers losing to the Packers in the Super Bowl. I don't know how realistic that is at this stage um, for the on the Packers side of it. But you know what? We've had Hall of Fame quarterbacks from uh, – uh, I'm a lot older than 13 now since I was 13. <laughs> so it's going to be quite the adjustment in Green Bay. Um, but – you know the building's going to be full. I mean, they sell out 80,000 seats for their family night, which is a practice. Yeah. Um, it's, it's you know, speaking your language, uh, this is Fenway. Lambeau Field is Fenway Park. It's Yankee Stadium. It's just different. And um, the, and that and that's what makes it special. And so for me, uh, I don't know if we'll survive it, but the, in terms of getting to the Super Bowl and having the success that we've had in years past, but uh, the Packers are way bigger than one player, and they always will be. Well, it's a kind of amazing to me how both the careers of uh, Aaron Rodgers and uh, Brett Favre ended at Green Bay. So it was like diva-like. They just basically, you know, wanted to, wanted to get out toward the end of the career. I know. Uh, you know what? And, and, and in fairness, in, in both situations, and, and this is obviously getting a bit more granular than you probably wanted, but in both situations – there, they had a little bit of a down. In, in one case, Aaron Rodgers had a down year, um, and Favre had kind of gone back and forth, back and forth. But they both had teams that were pretty good in recent memory. And you know, Favre uh, or excuse me, Aaron Rodgers was the one seed two years ago in an MVP. So uh, whether they are premature or not, obviously Belichick's line is you got to move off a year earlier than a year too late. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in both cases they did that. Um, but we're about to find out what Jordan Love can do. And, you know, there's some pressured, uh, some pressure put on Gutekunst and, uh, and the coaching staff in, in Green Bay now with, uh, not having a Hall of Fame quarterback. But, uh, it'll be fun to watch from afar. Uh, I need the Brewers to win some games, uh, this summer and, 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 and be interesting. So, uh, we got some time before the Packers. Well, the way that Central Division is in the National League, I mean, it, you know, Pittsburgh's barely at 500. And you know, as we're talking right now, Milwaukee is at 500. And, uh, there's also talk to me about that the Brewers could be moving. I've never heard that. The uh, Brewers aren't going. Least, I guess there's a lease situation, but that, but the, yeah. yeah, but the, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting time for you, a sports fan in Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, hey, well, we won an NBA championship a couple of years ago, so uh, hey. it, it is. Uh, it, it, it's a great sporting state. It, it, uh, I will always, you know, have my my. Uh, affinity for the Milwaukee and Wisconsin teams, um, but I'm excited coming out to the East Coast and um, getting back to some of those places that I really enjoyed, whether it's Fenway Park or Yankee Stadium or MSG and doing some of the things that um, I've really enjoyed in my past, so I'm looking forward to doing those things again. Well, you'll be close to uh, MetLife Stadium, so you can go down and see your, your Aaron Rodgers there play for the Jets. I would do that. I would do that. That would be fun. Uh, are, you, are you getting the tickets? <laughs> let, me, let me check my accountant. That's my wife. So. <laughs> uh, that, okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, no, that would uh, be fun. That would be enjoyable. Yeah, well, actually, the Eagles and the Jets do play down there this year. So we, uh, uh, so maybe you never know. Maybe we'll go. So, hey, Doug, thank you for doing this. Uh, you'll probably hear from me a lot during the season. Uh, you might get sick of me. I don't know. But I appreciate you answering my questions. And uh, good luck with the job. We'll talk soon. My pleasure, Ken, anytime.
We'll talk NBA with Zach Bai of 104.3 The Fan in Denver and a Scotia Glenville High School graduate and College of St. Rose graduate. The Denver Nuggets are NBA champions. We'll talk about that and what it means for the city of Denver. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hey, auto racing fans, the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest is back. Here's how to play. Pick the top five finishers in the weekly NASCAR race and get a chance to win a $50 ShopRite gift card. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the auto racing contest banner. The Daily Gazette's auto racing contest is run by the advertising department and not affiliated with the sports department. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports reporter Will Springston. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The Denver Nuggets are the NBA champions for the first time in their history. And uh, we have a local connection out there, the pride of Scotia Glenville High School and St. Rose uh, Basketball. He's the host of Stokely and Bye out in uh, 104.3, uh, the fan in Denver. It's Zach Bye. Welcome back, Zach. And uh, how are things in Denver? I guess um, you know so much with the you know, Denver winning a championship. It's been it's been a year since Denver, so I mean, I guess the, the stress of not winning a championship in a year has really affected the, the city. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just been an incredible year. I mean, Denver um, last celebrated a world championship in 2015 when the Broncos. Uh, won the Super Bowl, but prior to that, you got to go back to 2001. Well, what so about, you're talking about what about the Avalanche? Yeah, well, I'm I'm, I'm getting to that. I was <laughs> okay. going to say le- le- leading up to the last gotcha. year, okay. there was one parade. Um, there was one parade in uh, the last 21 years, uh, leading into last season, mm-hmm. and so it, it makes it kind of almost too good to be true that we follow this Avalanche team that cross the finish line and we get to have a parade and almost, you know, exactly one year later to be running it back with the Nuggets. Um, not only just winning, I mean, the, the Denver Nuggets had never even appeared in the NBA Finals. Uh, they'd been a team since 1976 and had never been to that final stage. Uh, so for to watch them get there and, and then, you know, see them actually win it all and doing it, it, you know, dominantly as they did. I mean, they were. This was a 16 win, four loss run to a championship. So this past year has just been. It's been magical. Uh, yeah. Nothing short of it, really. Yeah, the, the Denver with the Nuggets were the last of the four NBA, uh, ABA franchises that came into the NBA in 1976 to get to the finals. Yeah, this, uh, but the second one just to win because the Spurs have won a multiple championships. The Nets and the uh, Pacers have yet to win. Uh, what was the key to this team this year? I mean. Uh, especially in the playoffs, they, they, I mean, they just dominated, uh, and, and it seemed like they fall behind and win them. Especially against that, in that Lakers series, they just, uh, to me, just uh, did, it didn't matter. They had big leads, or even if they fell behind, it, it, they, they didn't panic. Yeah, I mean, they they were just flat out better than Los Angeles. I mean, that 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 was unequivocal. Um, and then. Really, if you take a look at the four losses that they had um, in total through the playoffs, the first round, then they gentlemen swept Minnesota. They lost the game in overtime that they completely just let slip away, took their foot off the gas, ended up going to overtime, lost. And then uh, in the second round, Devin Booker shot 80% over the course of two games 
I've never seen anything like it in my life. Um, there was a game where uh, a Booker in that same two-game stretch combined uh, for an 85-point game with Kevin Durant. I mean, uh, uh, you know, between the two. So uh, it, it took like a, a Herculean effort um, from Devin Booker um, in the two games in, in Phoenix where, again, he turned into a combination of Jordan and Kobe and shot 80% over a two-game period. I've never seen anything like that. And then they lost the one game in the NBA Finals uh, in which they blew an eight-point lead at home going into the fourth quarter, up eight, up 15 earlier in the game. So in each of the four losses, it's not a lot of losses at all, obviously, uh, four-to-one ratio in terms of win-losses in the playoff run. But even the four losses, there was context to it uh, and things that you know maybe shouldn't happen. So th- there's a reasonable argument, even despite the dominant 16-4 and four run to a championship, which is the second-best record in the last 15 years for any team on their way to a title in the NBA, you could argue they should have been even more dominant and maybe went 16-3 and three or 16-2. and two. So just a fun group to, to, to follow and a, a fun group to root for. Yeah, I mean, even after the game one victory against the Heat, Michael Malone was not happy with the way they played, especially yeah, they were up that big in that game that you know, let Miami back. And I think he had he had a premonition that the, that that they didn't play well in game two. I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be something interesting going down in Miami one one, and they ended up losing that game. Was there any concern you think on the the team, or was was game two a wake up call for them? Um, I think game two was definitely a wake up call for sure, and 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 I was trying to walk the line of like. You, you had to give Miami the utmost respect. I mean, even as an eight seed, what they did to Milwaukee, what they did to New York, what they did to Boston, it was like, okay, at what point is seeing believing? This is a real team. And up until game two, the Nuggets had not lost at home in the entire playoffs. So the fact that Miami came in and stole home court advantage, it was like, whoa. We are on high alert. It's what, what, what is going on with this eight-seeded Miami team? Are they just a team of destiny? And then I think Denver kind of put the clamps on that conversation. Yeah, I, I had Tim Reynolds and Mark Kessler on a few weeks ago, you know, previewing the uh, final. The one, the one thing I, we have to mention about the Miami Heat: yes, they were an eight seed, but they won the Southeast Division. A lot of people seem to forget that they had to go to the, because the NBA does not reward division winners with a, one, one of the top three seeds. They had to go. They ended up being. Number seven in, in the overall conference record, they had, a, they had to go to the play-in game, and nearly they almost got didn't they make the playoffs. So how could, weird would that have been? I mean, they go from almost missing, could, to possibly missing the playoffs as a division winner to getting to the NBA Finals. I mean, that to me that, that I, I mean, I might give Miami a lot of props for 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 that. No question about it. I mean, that was a that was a Heat team that you know. To your point, they lost to Atlanta in that first playing game. And, and people forget this as well. Miami was down in the second play-in game to the Chicago Bulls in the fourth quarter with under five minutes left. I mean, think about that. After losing to Atlanta in the play-in, they're down in the second play-in game with under five minutes left to the Bulls. And the fact that they went on to win that game and go on the run that they did, I mean, it is um, – Look, it was the first uh, number eight seed to go to the NBA Finals since the Knicks in 1999, that shortened season that gave San Antonio their first 
NBA title at the start of their dynasty. So it it rarely happens. I mean, the NBA is typically a cookie-cutter league in terms of the best teams finding ways to win over the course of a seven-game series. Like, there's there's the old adage, uh, seven-game series, there, there's no lies told. Ultimately, the best team is going to win. And Miami was a heavy underdog in two of those three series. I mean, against uh, 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 Milwaukee and Boston, I mean, they were up 2-0 and still an underdog in the series um, uh, uh, against Boston. Um, so it, what they did was just absolutely incredible. And even though the Nuggets ended up crossing the finish line, the Miami Heat deserve a ton of credit. Nicole Jokic did not win his third straight MVP. It went to Joel Embiid. And I'm a Sixer fan, and, and I'm frustrated with you know, the way the Sixers ended against Celtics. I think now you're looking back at MB, I think it was a fraud MVP. And again, speaking as a Sixers fan. <laughs> uh, but what, sure. is it, what is this winning a title mean for his Nicole uh, Jokic's uh, legacy? Well, I mean, I think it just solidifies it. Um, Jokic was already well on his way to becoming a Hall of Famer. Um, you can't find another two-time MVP uh, and, and five-time All-Star that that doesn't go to the Hall of Fame. So he was already well on his way. Now you look at, okay, he's got two regular season MVPs. He's got a championship and a finals MVP. The list of guys that have that in the entire history of the NBA, at least two regular season MVPs, a championship with a finals MVP, the list until two weeks ago or a week ago was 10 people long. And the names on that list, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, <clears throat> Magic Johnson, Moses Malone, Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, Steph Curry and Tim Duncan. Each of those 10 names that I just mentioned, all of them are considered a top 25 player of all time, unequivocally. And that's where Jokic is putting himself right now. And it's not even just about those major awards. Take a look at the all-time triple-doubles list. Jokic is now sixth in NBA history in triple-doubles. Can he just turn 28 years old this winter? I mean, typically NBA guys aren't hitting their prime until they're about 27. So he is just getting started, and he's already six all-time in triple-doubles. I think he's like maybe three or four behind LeBron James for the all-time list. So you look at that, and then you also look at the advanced numbers. So you look at the awards, MVPs, finals MVP, triple-doubles. Then you look at the, the advanced numbers, and every advanced metric that you look at says Nikola Jokic is not just the best player in the NBA – He's one of the best players we've ever seen. So here in the last three years, he's really solidified himself as an all-time great. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal this past week said he's already among the eight, uh, eight greatest big men of all time. Everyone already accepts he's the best passing big man of all time. And I think he's just the flat-out best passer in the NBA. Um, so there's nothing that he really can't do. And then defensively, he doesn't, you know, soar above the rim and throw shots into the stands, but all the uh, defensive numbers uh, say, hey, this guy's not a bad defender at all. 
Um, game three against Miami in the NBA Finals, it was 19 shots attempted on Jokic as the primary defender. Miami missed 16 of the 19. He's just so huge, and he knows how to be huge uh, defensively. He's one of the league leaders in deflections. He's the best big man when it comes to steals. Um, so this guy is putting together a career that's like, holy moly. I mean, we love comparisons and comps and sports. Like, hey, this guy's got the footwork of Akeem, or he's got the, you know, ambidextrous nature around the hoop like Tim Duncan. And we love those comparisons. But when you look at Jokic on the whole, there's really not a comparison that has come in previous generations. You kind of have to take a little bit of Bill Walton and take a little bit of Arvita Sabonis. And he's got the mind of Steve Nash, but in the body of Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, he's just a true unicorn. Who else on that uh, Nuggets team stood out to you that maybe didn't get the attention that Jokic did? Uh, I, I would start with Aaron Gordon, who in the first round guarded Anthony Edwards. In the second round, guarded Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. In the third round, guarded LeBron James. And in the finals, guarded Jimmy Butler. Uh, He did the thankless work of being the best defensive player for the Nuggets on the court every single night. And I think that, not that it went unnoticed, but it's not leading sports center. And then every three or four games, Aaron Gordon would pop one for 25 points. Get a 27-point game in the NBA Finals. Um, I think that Aaron Gordon coming into uh, this postseason was still probably best known for something he did in a dunk contest five, six years ago, that, or being the fourth overall pick. People really didn't watch him when he was on the Orlando Magic, and the Nuggets, without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., weren't close to being healthy. They had early playoff exits. So I think that for a large portion of NBA basketball fans, they were taking in what Aaron Gordon looks like as a fourth option, not a first or second option, but a fourth option on a championship team and being the number one option defensively. He was my unsung hero uh, of the last month. What about Michael Malone and his job as a head coach? I mean, now he's solidified, he's a champion now. What is his legacy? Oh, I think it's the greatest Nuggets Nuggets coach of all time. Um, you know, there's been guys like Doug Moe, George Carl. Love George Carl, but he only got out of the first round with the Nuggets one time total. You know, the Nuggets were in the Western Finals in 2020. Um, they've gotten out of the first round uh, routinely here in the last five years. And then to cross the finish line, become the first ever coach to lead the team to the finals, and then to win it. It's all-time stuff. And he's not new. He didn't just get here two or three years ago. Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, Eric Spolstra, and Michael Malone are the longest tenured coaches in the NBA. This guy has been at the helm of the Nuggets bench for eight years now in the NBA where coaches change every two, three, four years. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's been the Nuggets captain for nearly a decade. He's reached the most success any coach in the history of the franchise has attained. Uh, and he's totally solidified himself as a legendary Denver sports coach. Yeah. 
What does it mean for basketball in Denver as a whole? I mean, now, obviously, we mentioned about the Avalanche winning last year. Hockey, they've had three Stanley Cups since they arrived from Quebec in 1995. And now you have the Nuggets winning the title. What does it mean now? Is Denver officially a basketball town now? Or, I mean, still is it still basketball slash hockey? And, of course, the Broncos. Yeah, it's definitely a Broncos town for sure. Um, that's first and foremost. I mean, if, if all the teams are good at the exact same time, please believe the Broncos are still leading the charge. But the Broncos have the second longest playoff drought in the entire NFL, along with the New York Jets, despite just winning Super Bowl 50 in 2015. Every other team in the league, other than the Jets and the Broncos, have made it back to the postseason since the last time the Broncos were, were in the postseason. So... The Broncos, while still being a Broncos town, they've kind of taken a step back uh, for sure. And you have these two other teams literally hosting parades. So I won't go so far to say it's it's a basketball town first. I won't go so far to say it's a hockey town uh, first. It's always going to be a Broncos town. But that being said, the interest in the Denver Nuggets has never been higher. I mean, this is a, this is a, a town that just... Well, well, here you go. Last year, when the Habs won it all, they had the parade. They had 600,000 people at the parade. This last Thursday, for the Nuggets parade, it was 750,000 people. So just by those numbers alone, um, it's letting you know. And just how hard of a ticket it is. Like, when I first moved to Denver in 2017, you could get into a Nuggets game for 10 bucks. I mean, you really could. And half the arena would be in the other... Uh, team's jerseys. Mm -hmm. Now, Denver Nuggets fans, they don't sell their tickets. They're sold out every single night. The atmosphere is electric, and that's for both Avs and Nuggets. So, even since I got here six years ago, um, the interest in those teams has exploded. Of course, we meant, we didn't mention the Rockies. I think we'll just leave it at that. We'll leave the Rockies alone because they're, they're struggling right now. Let me ask you, I mean, I mentioned the Broncos. Uh, is Sean Payton the answer to cure the ills that affected Russell Wilson last year? I don't know if he can be cured to the point where he, he's back to Seattle, Russ, but he's definitely going to be better than he was this past year. I mean, he was a bottom five starting quarterback, Russell Wilson. I mean, he was he was that bad. I mean, he threw 16 total touchdowns. We look at Justin Fields and say, that guy needs to improve throwing the football. Justin Fields threw more touchdowns than... Russell Wilson. I mean, that doesn't even compute. Um, I think Russ bit off more than he could chew a year ago. Uh, they were not well coached. Nathaniel Hackett didn't even make it through the season. He was one of the quickest fires in the NFL history. I think the seventh quickest fire ever. In coaching the NFL, it's so important. I mean, you think of how fluid a game like hockey is, how fluid a game like basketball is. Football is a start and stop sport. You run the play, and then you stop. And then you talk about the next play for almost 40 seconds before you run the next play. I mean, coaching has their fingerprints all, all over NFL football more than any other professional sport. So I, I think you could argue the biggest upgrade for any NFL team year over year was going from Nathaniel Hackett to Sean Payton. I mean, that is a, a one and done after, you know, 15 games it was to a guy who will 
likely go to the Hall of Fame and has won a Super Bowl. So um, if anyone can fix Russ, it'll be Sean Payton. Yeah. I, I think Denver season was lost in that opening game against Seattle when uh, Hackett just went for a long field goal at the end of the game there instead of I just seemed like that whole thing was just messed up from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, that was a disaster. They, 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 they tried to kick the longest field goal in the history of Seattle football, and it would have been the longest field goal uh, uh, in Seattle by about 20 feet. Yeah. I mean, it was the, one of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen, No, having no perspective or context for what he was doing. And it was game number one of Russ. We didn't know how bad he was going to get. They, they took the football out of his hand in the moment. So that was a, uh, that was a really bad tone setter for the whole year. What has life? I'll, I'll leave you on this uh, question. What has life been like for you this past? I mean, I've, you've been. I, I've heard you on several talk shows. I think you've been appearing on some TV shows as well. I mean, what's it like been like for you uh, with this uh, Nuggets run? Oh man, I, I I could try to spend the next hour uh, articulating <laughs> what it's been like. I mean, I never did a national radio hit in my life. Um, if you, if you asked me five weeks ago, I'd never been on ESPN radio. And then over a 21-day period, I think I was on 10 different times. Um, they just kept on asking me back. And uh, CNN, you know, reaching out and getting to, you know, go on, on television on, on that type of level. Um, and then them asking me back as well. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, I just sort of told myself that I would say yes to, to everything during this run so you know our station would get hit up by you know ESPN Honolulu uh, Sioux Falls uh, South Dakota I mean all around the country and they were feeding my program director was feeding these other program directors you know my number so in addition to doing my own three hour radio show in addition to I agreed to join our number one rated morning show on the day of games and after every game. Um, in addition to doing my Mile High Hoops podcast, I was on different radio shows almost every single day of the week and it, and doing all this other stuff. I mean, it was insane. It's the busiest that I have ever been, ever, 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 um, in the six and a half years since um, taking the job in Denver. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that I got to live it and experience it um but i'm also uh, uh, on the other hand happy that it's over because i was running myself sick i mean quite literally physically sick just being run down and getting up at 4 30 in the morning to do a hit on the east coast that you know six o'clock you know uh, uh, you know back back east and all types of crazy stuff um so it's been a magical run um i think my profile in the market has definitely uh, raised to a, a whole other level, um, got introduced to some new people around the country, and um, I just uh, appreciate it and, and, and acknowledge how, how lucky I am. So much of this stuff is just timing, Ken. You know, it's like I've been, I've been the basketball guy for six years. No one ever wanted to talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then the Nuggets go, you know, to a, to a championship, and, and I'm the guy that gets to come off the bench and, you know, get to make some plays in prime time. So it, it's just, it's been so fun, magical, would never, I'll remember for the rest of my life, wouldn't trade it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm also happy that it's over. Hey, you got to hang out with a couple of the other Capital Region uh, natives and then Kesty and Tim Reynolds. So that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, we had them in studio. Uh, we had Tim in studio. 
Um, we had uh, Kesty, who I never met in person, <clears throat> and uh, he's got old t- he's got old ties to the College of St. Rose. Once upon a time, um, you know, Brian Bury and you know Tim Reynolds, obviously <clears throat> at the Times Union, and I had never met him in person. We we I've had him on the show and exchanged DMs, but never actually met in person. So, and then to have him say, "Hey, Zach." I'll, you just tell me what time I have a rental car. I'll come right to the studio, and to have him come in the studio and and spend that kind of time with us, uh, it was just uh, it was awesome. It was really really cool, and like I said, something I'll never forget. Final 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 question: Brian Bury's back coaching in St. Rose. What do you think? I think Brian Bury is one of, if not the best best basketball mind I've ever been around. Um, you know, so much of uh, Coach Bury's last decade uh, has been health-related, you know. Um, so to hear that he's in a place physically to come back to that day-to-day grind, I think is really encouraging. And I think that anytime Brian Bury is the architect <clears throat> behind a basketball team, you're probably going to do really well. And we have about 30 years of sample size to draw from when he was at the College of St. Rose, and it's almost surreal that he's back. Um, and uh, I'm just really happy for him that physically he's in a place to 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 be accepting that that grind once again that it will take to get St. Rose back to where it belongs. Uh, mention all your social media platforms and where the people can listen to you at your radio show online. Yeah, sure. We uh, we we have the number one rated uh, midday show in the market. Um, you can stream us at denversports.com. You just click listen live. And if we're not live, you just click on podcast and we're available Stokely and Zach after the fact. Uh, we had uh, over 100,000 downloads last month uh, after the fact, you know, not even listening live, just on the podcast after the fact. So our show has exploded. That's the number one way people listen now is they stream it. Um, and then I'm always on Twitter at Byesline and on Instagram at zby23 and I also have my own YouTube channel um, zachby23 so all that stuff is uh, it's non-stop Ken you know how it goes and um, I'm, I'm having fun with it well Zach I appreciate uh, what's turned out to be a long, very nice long interview I appreciate it again and uh, have a good rest of the summer Get take some time off relax and uh, get back in the grind of the uh, Nuggets season uh, come, come the fall Yep, I, I, I can't wait, and uh, the Nuggets are already favored to win it again. So regardless of what happens, it should be another wild ride, and I appreciate you uh, you having me on, and hello to all my friends back in the Capital Region. All right, that's Zach Bye. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity from the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. 
Take the Daily Gazette, the local voice of the Capital Region, along with you wherever you go. Want to win an Apple iPad? Download the app at either the Apple App Store or Google Play and enter the contest inside the app to win. Don't wait. The contest ends July 31st at midnight. The winner will be notified by the email used to enter the contest. Good luck! Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and college football on ESPN Radio. I grew up in Gilderland. I'm a proud member of the 518, and I go back over 30 years with Ken Schott. And when I'm not listening to his Schottsky Radio, I'm listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Here's Ken. Uses big frame. Hooked up a little bit. Bornstrom fins through him. Henrik Bornstrom center. Vecchioni pulled down low. Bouncing around. Bornstrom after it. In front. They score! They score! Mike Vecchioni! The Bears have done it! They are Calder Cup champions! Back to wrap up the podcast. And that was Zach Fish of the Hershey Bears Radio Network with the call of Union Hockey along Mike Vecchione's game-winning goal in overtime Wednesday night to give the Hershey Bears a 3-2 victory over the Coachella Valley Firebirds in Game 7 of the American Hockey League's Calder Cup Finals. The Bears won the series 4-3 and captured their 12th Calder Cup, most of any AHL franchise. For Vecchione, it's his second hockey title. He won the NCAA championship with Union in 2014. Congratulations to him and the Bears. The uh, Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is back. Uh, NASCAR took last week off. It's back to racing uh, on Sunday. And if you want to play in the contest, go to DailyGazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. Just because COVID-19 mandates are easing, that doesn't mean you should relax. Be vigilant. If you have not got vaccinated or received a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shot Podcast. I want to thank Doug Christensen and Zach Bai for coming on the show. Next week, retiring RPI Athletic Director Lee McElroy will be on the podcast to talk about his career at RPI, as well as UAP's Athletic Director. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot. That's S-C-H-O-T-T at DailyGazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.